Welcome to 42 Answers from Founders for Founders, a podcast series brought to you by Project A Ventures, the operational VC. My name is Rana Berak, operating partner at Project A, and our guest today is Till Faida. Welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. In this podcast, we talk to great founders and we ask them the exact same set of questions in the domains that we believe matter a lot for building a successful company. And these are tech, growth, people, data, and ESG. Till, please tell our audience who you are, what you do, and why you do it. Sure, my, my name is Till. I'm one of three co-founders of IO. Um, some people know us as the makers of Adblock Plus, which is a popular tool to block annoying ads on the internet. And our mission is to create a better value exchange on the internet between users, publishers, and advertisers. And uh, I've been running IO as the CEO for over 10 years now. And I've recently hired my replacement and I'm currently transitioning into a new role at the supervisory board of the company. Okay, very interesting. And I bet from these 10 years, uh, you will have a lot of insights for our audience Uh, about the 42 uh, topics that we will discuss. Maybe quickly on your target group, because I think it matters for a number of the questions that we will go through. If I understand it right, you have two target groups, the person who actually install Adblock Plus in this case, but also relations to the companies who want to enter a dialogue with you in order to find a way, in order to make advertising more acceptable by the By, uh, by, by the people who consume internet content. Is that correct? Uh, yes, I, I would actually say we have three audiences um, and um, we bring balance to the often very conflicting interests of users, publishers and, and advertisers. So on the user side, we're helping over 200 million users worldwide to have a more pleasant browsing experience by providing them control over the ads they see. And then we're working with um, most of the largest publishers in the world to help them monetize better with more user-friendly ads. And then we're also helping advertisers to reach a, a large and extremely attractive audience with ads that users actually want to see. So essentially, we're giving choice and control and ensure that fewer and more high quality ads not only provide a better user experience, but also work better for publishers and advertisers. People. If you would start a company today, what would be your first five hires? Um, would definitely be developers and, and salespeople. Um, And maybe one, one person who uh, keeps finances in, in order uh, from day one to, uh -huh. to uh, <laughs> save some headaches later. So probably three developers, one salesperson and, um, and one admin. Um, and I think um, maybe one, one aspect that has been very, very important to me um, when I was hiring in the early days is that I always look for, for people that have built something they weren't told by anyone uh, to do. So like developers, have they contributed to some open source project? Have they launched their, their own uh -huh. app? Were these your first five hires when you started IO? Yes, but uh, at the early stage, um, we hired a lot more generalists than, than we're doing now. And then also roles are 
way more fluid. Like uh, a salesperson also has to do recruiting every now and then, for example. So. Uh -huh. What are the hardest hires of today? So um, we, we set ourselves the goal to have 50% women in, in leadership positions at, at IO. And I feel the market for women with leadership experience is especially competitive these days. Uh -huh. mm, do you measure employee satisfaction? And if yes, how do you do that? Yes, we have um, an anonymous serving tool um, where we are constantly um, measuring employee satisfaction. Um, and we also set ourselves OKRs related to that. So it's uh, it's a data point we, we constantly monitor and try to optimize. So that's an OKR then for the leadership. Um, exactly. Okay. And how about employee uh, performance? How do you measure that? Probably also through OKRs. Yeah, we, we don't measure individual performance, um, but we measure the performance of teams based on the OKRs that they set. What's your favorite type of org chart? How would you say should an organization be structured? Well, I, I think the most, most important point is that it's, it's flexible. Um, our organization has gone through um, multiple major changes over the last 10 years. Um, and what I hope what we have established now is that we have a structure where constant change is embraced and, and not causing a distraction for the day-to-day -day activities. Okay. What's, I mean, that probably leads already to the next question, and that is the approach to culture. What's your culture and, and, and how do you make sure that it lives in the company? Yeah, that's uh, that's a great question uh, because obviously also culture changes a lot as as the company um, evolves. As a as a startup, we had a very different culture compared to today, where we have hundreds of of people in, in the company. And so for us, I think that the key is to preserve what has made us strong in the past, while also embracing what we need to become in order to keep growing. And I think this requires a very conscious development of, of culture, which is why we wrote down our core values. We wrote down leadership principles and we have approached this in a very bottom up way. Um, the, the team actually has started a culture council that, that runs this effort. Oh, so it was, it was an initiative out of the team. It's nothing that the leadership has established. Yeah. Yeah. It was really oh, wow. driven bottom up. Wow. Very nice. Um, remote first or office first? Um, we have had almost half of our team working remotely, even in pre-COVID times. Mm -hmm. So we've always been very remote friendly. Um, at the same time, we're investing quite a lot into providing an attractive work environment um, at our offices. So ultimately, um, employees have a choice. They can work fully remotely or come to one of the office is what whatever fits their individual needs the best okay tech would you call io a tech company yes one 100 um we are creating very sophisticated tech that is able to filter out bad ads for our users and then we are providing this uh, tech to large browser companies, for example, that are integrating our SDKs into, into their products. 
if you look at your product team and your developers, is one of those two in the lead? Um, historically, yes. Historically, um, it's been very much driven by development. But um, we're now currently in the process of uh, establishing a very strong product organization. Um, we have recently hired uh, a CTPO. So both sides ultimately report into the same person. Oh, okay. So who, which role or which person is it who decides what's to be developed next, who de decides the roadmap, um, the, the features, etc., what's on the next sprint? Um, when, when we started, uh, we were mostly focused on developing Adblock Plus to, together with a pretty engaged open source community. So basically, user feedback was, was key, and we were uh, mostly reacting to that. Now we are mostly growing by providing our tech to companies that integrate our ad filtering solutions into their products. So for us, um, our focus now is to be partner equitable. So we very closely align our priorities um, with the priorities of um, our partners, which is driven by, by product management. Can you describe the decision-making process a little bit more? So I guess there are a lot of ideas of what could come next and, and who takes the final decision and, and, and how do they together probably uh, get to that point? Um, sure, yeah, we have a, a company leadership team um, where all the different areas of the company are represented. And this team gets together on a weekly basis together with the, with the management uh, of the company and most major decisions are taken in that group. Okay. What's your take on product-led growth? Well, I would say this is, this is how we got our first 100 million users. Um, people loved our product at Plug Plus and they, they recommended it to, to all their friends. So we didn't have to spend any money on, on marketing or, or user acquisition. Um, now um, we have a few hundred million users and now we want to grow to 1 billion users. That's, that's our ambition level now. Wow. So we can no longer grow to that scale just by, by word of mouth, um, which is why we have now built much more of a, a sales organization that is driving that growth. Huh. I wonder if at some point you'll have to do advertising for your ad blocker. We'll get to that. <laughs> um, which role does design play in your company? Um, that's that's also an interesting question because when when we started, we had a very tech-savvy audience of mostly open source enthusiasts. Design didn't really play a major role then. Um, now I would look at design mostly from a usability perspective. Um, I think it is key for us that um, configuring your browsing experience becomes as, as easy as, as possible so that we can get to, to 1 billion users all, all across the globe. Uh -huh. Would you ever, or probably do you, um, outsource software development? No. Why? Um, we have done it in, in the past, but only for products that uh, we, we knew we didn't have to maintain, kind of like one-off projects. That makes sense. Um, for us, I think it is, it is crucial that the 
the parts of the technology that we have to maintain on an ongoing basis, that all of this is done in-house. Okay, thank you. Growth. If you think about the complete funnel, and I'm thinking more now about the browsers and the advertising companies, uh, the funnel of a brand, marketing, sales, customer success, um, does I.O. by now have all these functions? By now, yes, um, but I would say these different functions, functions at I.O. are at very different stages of maturity, um, uh -huh. con considering that I.O. is uh, 11 years old, um, we're pretty late thinking about organization in, in that way. Okay. And is one of them in the lead? Is, is, is sales calling the shots or would, would customer success being the closest to existing customer? Is, is any of them like orchestrating the funnel and like ranked a little bit higher than the others? No, I would, I would also say what, um, what we have at IO is we have three semi-independent business units based on their target audience. So we have a user growth unit, a publisher growth unit, and, and an advertiser growth unit. And we aim to have all of those functions across the entire funnel uh, represented in, in each unit. Okay. So, so each unit has each of these functions, basically. Correct. I understand that right. Okay. Correct. Got it. Um, Now, what sometimes happens if you work along a funnel and um, in the end there is an end result, which can be a partnership, revenue, etc. Um, and things, I mean, when things are going great, everything's great. When things are not great, then people start in many companies to like point at each other and say, the leads weren't great. No, you didn't convert them. Um, how can you make sure that this doesn't happen and people in times of, Yeah, uh, less success. Don't start blaming each other or, or or look for the error in 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 a different team. How can how can you make sure that this doesn't happen? Uh, that's that's an excellent question, and I, I don't have a perfect answer because uh, I guess the silification is a is a constant challenge. I guess I guess for every growing organization um, beyond a, a certain size. Um, I, I do think joint OKRs can help uh, to make sure everybody is really aligned on, on the on the same goal. Um, but as as we're growing, this is this is definitely that is uh, something that we need to constantly pay attention to, and ultimately, good communication can can only solve this. Um, do you have any um, performance bonuses or so for for these teams? No. No, we, we don't have individual uh, compensation on that level yet. Okay, because that can, of course, that can uh, that can cause the blaming. Uh, uh, depending on how you set the incentives, it can also help uh, solving them. Uh, yeah, this this is this is exactly why um, we for for a very long time. Um, didn't want to have individual bonuses uh, just to make sure no individual's compensation is, is tied to that and that we're all working towards the, the common goal. I'm not sure if um, if this is the right way for us moving moving forward, but in the in the last 10 years, this I think has been the right method for, for us to, to avoid this personal conflict. How important is brand for you? Um, Well, people know our consumer brands, Adblock and, and Adblock Plus, 
but um, I don't think many people know what IO is and uh -huh. what, what IO does. Um, so as we have now made the shift from this direct to consumer company to um, a B2B focus, um, this will have to change. Uh -huh. And how do you plan to approach it? What's your approach to brand? Well, um, we're, we're literally just getting started. Um, 11 years after we started, I, we, we still haven't done many of the, the basic things uh, establishing the, the IO brand. So we now want to become really good at telling the story of why we exist um, and, and how every stakeholder in our ecosystem can, can benefit from what we are building. Yeah, I think that will be actually a, a, a great thing to look forward to because you really have a lot of story to tell. People love you for what you are. You mentioned it earlier that you grew basically organically uh, just like that. And I bet a lot of people want to hear the story and want to know because you have a brand. You have a very strong brand. Probably the product is the at the moment still the bigger brand than than, than the company, but uh, certainly a lot uh, a lot to talk about. Great to yeah, hear. Yeah. So I asked earlier a little bit, but do you actually being produce or having an ad blocker out there, do you use any marketing channels yourself? Which ones and why these ones, if, if there are any? Um, we, we don't use marketing channels for um, the consumer products, um, the, uh -huh. the ad blockers. Um, I mean, probably would be, would be fun to run ads that say, <laughs> this is the last ad you, you have to see. Yeah. But uh, no, we, um, on, the, on the IO level, maybe, maybe I should uh, clarify that our direct-to-consumer products business, um, we, we separated that into um, separate um, subsidiary of ours. So this um, is run more, more independently. And then on the IO level, as I said, we have mostly the audiences of tech integration partners, advertisers, and publishers. And, and there we are using some marketing channels, um, LinkedIn, for example, um, um, because this is um, a great way for us to target this yeah, rather low number of, of companies that we want to work with directly. Um, what's your view on performance marketing? I mean, it is there, the question here is: Do you think performance marketing is dead or dying soon? And your product is probably helping that process a little bit. What's your view on the future of performance marketing? I don't think it's it's dying. It's it's changing. It's probably harder to draw clear lines. What is what is performance marketing? What isn't? Um, Cookies will go away. Uh, Google and Facebook become more and more of a of a black box. So it will be harder to measure. But but ultimately, budgets go where there's a positive return on on advertising spend. So in a way, everything will be performance marketing, um, just measured differently. Okay. Um, I think we already said you do have salespeople, right? Yeah, we have um, salespeople that help our partners like browser companies to integrate our ad filtering solutions into their products. Then we have salespeople who help uh, publishers monetize better with user-friendly ads. And then we also have salespeople that are acquiring advertiser budgets. So key question for almost all B2B tech companies out there, at least <laughs> everybody tells me that this is a big problem. 
where do you find good digital savvy salespeople? Mostly through the network. Um, the best hires we're making from referrals from with, within the team. And that is, that is by far the most important channel for us. Okay. Data. How does data make IO successful? To be, to be completely honest, probably still not enough. Um, we always had a somewhat complex relationship to data at, at IO. For example, we, we never collected any information on our users uh, for, for privacy reasons. And um, uh, this is still part of our DNA. At the same time, of course, um, for our ongoing professionalization, um, it is important that we're making smarter decisions while keeping our, our values when it comes to protecting everyone's right to, to stay completely private. Okay. And um, maybe then more in perspective, what do you think which teams will or should be supported by data or by probably a data team if you have one? Um, classic is marketing, but then a lot of people also go for product, some for people, topics, etc. So where should data be uh, supporting? Yeah, I would say definitely everywhere. Um, we're using it now mostly in, in sales, product and, and marketing, um, but we're also starting to use data everywhere. For example, in, in people operations, um, which is what we call our HR. So uh, we have one person uh, for people analytics, just so that we get into the habit of um, making, making all decisions based on data. Okay. Do you think a data team should answer specific questions they receive or should they look at data explore it and find opportunities and be open about yeah hunting that down i think the the key is to make data as accessible as possible for example through self-service tools and, and dashboards and and that way everyone can use the data that that is available and then the people that are much closer to the specific domain knowledge, they can then use their specific knowledge, combine it with the data that is that is available. So um, I think a more decentralized approach probably works best for us at least. Okay. How can you make sure that people really do what data recommend instead of looking at it, putting it aside, following their gut feeling? I, I don't know for sure if we're doing enough of it. Um, I think... I think probably um, an important aspect is the culture, how decisions are made. Um, the, if the best argument based on data wins, um, no matter who the argument makes, I think this is a, an important cultural aspect. Um, but we have not yet really looked at, are we actually making all decisions based, based on, on data? Um, I think this uh, yeah, is probably an important um, a very interesting aspect to to really figure out um, how well we're doing on that side. Mm -hmm. um, which data tools or infrastructure do you use or plan to use maybe because it sounds like you're it, this is actually a journey you're just embarking on. Yeah, that is a, it's a it's a good question. I'm not sure if I'm working closely enough with with every part of the organization um and anymore to really judge it I, I get all my my dashboards that i use on on google data studio okay 
Now, um, which role do you think should the data team have? Classic is probably some analysts, some engineers. Data science is like sometimes split, sometimes it's part of one or the other. Are these the roles, how would you structure that? We have um, we have an infrastructure and platforms, um, what we call foundation service that supports mm -hmm. all the, the three business units that I, I mentioned before. Um, so we have the central infrastructure and then we have a very decentralized approach where we have, for example, BI analysts um, mm -hmm. represented in, in each business unit. So making data available is centralized and then working on them, and analyzing them, that is decentral within the different teams. Correct. Okay. And is there something like a, a head of a director, a C-level that, that leads the overall data uh, people? Um, not, not yet. We have uh, one person who, who leads the central data infrastructure. Yeah. And to whom is this person reporting? To the CTPO. Okay. So you're handling that from a, from a technical perspective for, for, for that particular sub-team that makes a lot of sense. Um, GDPR, how do you look at that? Is it a struggle or an opportunity? Um, well, first of all, I, I agree with the spirit of, of the legislation. I, I guess everyone should uh, be transparently informed about how their data is used and, and given the opportunity to decline that usage. Um, at, At the same time, um, I guess there are many ways how to improve implementation of that legislation. And um, I know compliance is quite a hassle. Uh, mm -hmm. And I, I still see many companies struggling with that. Um, at, a, at a high level for us as a company, I, I would say it's an opportunity because users taking control over their data creates, um, I guess, a market for companies that are empowering consumers, which is ultimately what we do. Environmental, social and governance. Now I'm not sure. So usually I ask at that point, why did you or why didn't you start an ESG company? And for IO, uh, I'm not so sure. It isn't core in environmental And, and, and the similar, but it's uh, but it's certainly a company that has a strong purpose and is doing good. So, do you see IO as a as as an ESG company? Um, well, I, I would say ESG is, is just a label. We've ne we've never really had a reason to go through the the certification process, but I would say definitely all three aspects are are very important for us. So why, but maybe then the question is, why did you take that focus? Why did you decide to work on that particular topic instead of just, I don't know, selling shoes at getting crazy rich? Um, well, I, I think it, it makes us more successful in, in the long run. Um, first of all, because um, uh, it's, it's a great way to get people to align their personal uh, values with with the company values but our entire company setup i think really has a very much of a, of a long-term view not because it it happens to align with my my personal core values but i think it's it's the right business strategy for us to do just as a as a very tangible example we could very easily generate a lot more money if we show more apps to to our users 
but that would be very short-sighted because I would say ultimately we make a lot more money by ensuring all our users have a, have a great user experience. And this is just one example where I feel like um, our long-term view makes us more successful as a business. Mm -hmm. What does IO do internally to help our environment? We um, are carbon neutral. So we have uh, a bunch of policies that reduce our environmental footprint. And then we also offset any CO2 emissions that we can't save. Okay. How about the social aspect? Uh, because that's where I'm thinking um, the social aspect of what your product actually is, that, that is where I would see the strongest footprint of you in, 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 the e in, in this ESG label. Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree. I think um, this is baked into into our business model um, because we are helping publishers monetize their content in a much more profitable and sustainable way, which ensures that content stay accessible um, and that the internet is really protected as a as a public resource. So I, th I think um, access to information and protecting the funding of um, high quality content like high quality journalism um, on a global scale I think that is a pretty important role uh, for society as a whole any particular view on governance do you follow any criteria here um, well as I, as I mentioned before we we have defined our our leadership principles that every leader in our company is being assessed on and then also one one other important aspect for us is diversity here. Um, we have uh, 50% women in, in the management team, um, and we, we also aim to have 50% representation in, in all leadership positions. If you look at young startups and they do focus very often now on ESG, do you think it helps them getting funding or would investors rather see it as a deflection from earning as much as possible? Well, if it's if it's a deflection, then I think um, they're doing it wrong. Um, I I think um, there there is a, a conflict, um, if anything, between short term and, and long term thinking. Um, but uh, running um, your business in a sustainable way, I think, is a is a pretty good business strategy in, in the long run. Do you have an ESG officer or a similar role at IO? Um, we don't have a G ESG officer, but we have um, a working group um, that is developing, updating, and reporting on our environmental goals. Is that was that also an initiative from the people? Yeah, yeah. Again, very much a bottom-up driven initiative. Really nice. Speaks for a very good culture. Yes. Um, Where in the organization does that sit? Is there somebody who is leading that working group? Or to whom do they suggest their, their ideas? Is that located somewhere within HR or directly with you? Or Yeah, I think it, um, it needs um, um, a C-level sponsor. So it doesn't have to be driven by, by C-level. Um, but I, I think um, uh, providing sufficient attention on, on their work is, is critical. And in our case, it's uh, our COO who is sponsoring this. Okay. That brings us to the last three questions. Number one, which is the one podcast all founders should listen to? So I, 
I actually don't know because I've I've never I've never really consumed much media targeted at founders, uh, so I can't really say if it's it's helpful or not to become a better founder. Um, I would rather suggest as a as a founder you identify the podcasts that are really relevant for your industry um, and really become an expert in in that. For example. I like to listen to to things that are relevant to ad tech, like the the ad exchanger podcast that is relevant for my day to day. Um, I'm I'm not sure if listening to founder podcasts would have made me a better founder, but I can absolutely be wrong. <laughs> except this one, of course. <laughs> except except this one. <laughs> What are your top two pieces of advice for early stage founders? Um. Well, maybe similar to the to the podcast topic, I, I don't really like general advice, um, but um, but I can share two things that worked well for me. Um, so for for us, um, I think it was the right strategy to focus on revenue versus fundraising. Um, we have um, been profitable since year one of of the company, and that independence uh, can really help having really a long term view. Um, which, which I think for, for us specifically was, was very important. And then the other one, um, is I think it's good not to be afraid to be controversial. Um, we have had some, some negative press over the year. We've been, we've been sued over 10 times. Uh, we, we won every single time. But I, but I think um, if you want to be truly disruptive, um, this is a sign that you're actually challenging the, the status quo. So I would say em embrace being controversial if, if you really want to be disruptive. Thanks for that. Last question. Who are the two other founders I should ask this set of questions and you can make an introduction for me? Um. I really like what um, Julian is building at, at Fractal. I'm happy to make an introduction there. And if you want to talk to um, a female founder with very deep understanding of organizational design and leadership, um, who's just getting started as a founder, I can introduce you to my former colleague, Simonetta Bataiga, who's currently building something new. That would be awesome. Thank you so much for that. I'm looking forward to the introductions. Um, thank you so much. Thanks for sharing all these uh, insights from, from your 10 years journey as a founder at I.O. Um, thanks to the audience for listening in. And I hope to have you back all here next week. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thank you very much. We hope you enjoyed our podcast. If you did, how about you subscribe on Spotify and or iTunes and give us a rating. Thanks, guys.